Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Relunchables Podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, proudly part of the Believe Podcast Network. And each episode will be covering 90s, 2000s, film, TV, and pop culture. I am not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. Thank you to Weedis for the intro music. I know it's been a while. Trust me. I'm glad to be back in the studio recording podcasts. And thank you for all of you who have stuck with me over the past couple of weeks. This week, We have two very special guests. We are going to be joined by the directors of the Orange Years documentary. If you are not familiar with this documentary and you are a listener of this podcast, I can guarantee that you will absolutely love it. It is all about the rise of Nickelodeon in the 80s and 90s, covering all the TV shows you grew up watching with interviews from Keenan and Kel to Melissa Joan Hart. Pretty much everyone from your childhood is in this documentary. We are having on the directors, Scott Barber and Adam Sweeney, two guys who really just love nostalgia, like myself. These two guys just really bootstrapped this all the way, crowdfunded the project, and really got it out there. It was acquired by Gravitas Ventures. You can rent it now on Amazon, Apple, pretty much any VOD provider. You could get this right now. I'd go ahead and encourage my listeners to check it out. So, next week, we're going to be joined by Allison McLean Merrill, a writer for Screen Rant, who came on the podcast and we broke down our top 10 Disney Channel original movies. I know it's something we talk about a lot on this podcast, and we finally sat down and put pen to paper and came up with our rankings. So, definitely check out that episode. I think that's a great 50th episode to end this year on. What a terrible year 2020 has been. Hopefully, better things to come in 2021. I want to thank all my listeners from starting this podcast from zero to 50. It's It's been a grind, and it's been a great grind. We've had incredible guests, incredible friends who wouldn't have made possible without. So without further ado, let's get into my interview with the directors of The Orange Years, Scott Barber and Adam Sweeney, but not before we roll the trailer for the documentary. Nickelodeon, if you want to know about it, it's a kid-owned environment. It didn't feel like the version of what an adult was telling a kid to watch. It felt like really what kids were into. I don't know. Kids can smell from a thousand miles away when they're being sold a bunch of crap. If it was a tiny bit naughty, kids would really appreciate that and feel that it was real and it was really for them. You can't do that on TV. No one really knew if it was going to end up being successful. We were the anti-Disney, we were the anti-Saturday morning. We wanted less acting, and we wanted more normal kids. How come everybody draws babies as these beautiful ones? When they first come out, heads are kind of weird looking, kind of funny looking. And that's why the Rugrats were drawn like they were. The inmates were very much running the asylum back then. It was way easier to slip stuff in. They trusted us. I mean, the stuff we got away with was insane. There's something about just making a show that is just about laughing, it's about having fun, and it's about just being silly. When we all got together, we knew there was something magical. To have 
that diversity in, a, in the show. It gave a lot of hope to a lot of kids coming from different walks of life saying like, well, I can do this too. Mothers were going to work for the first time, divorce rates were high, kids were either coming home alone or in after school programs. They needed a place where they could just be kids. They want a childhood, let's give it to them. So there's all those crazy things that happened that, you know, nobody knows about. Yeah, my wife kept making fun of me. She was like, you gotta put something back there. I was like, I don't know if that's cooler or lamer <laughs> to like have like Nickelodeon stuff back there. So I just threw up that little jean jacket and then that poster. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's very fitting. Yeah. So November 17th, that's the big date, right? That's right. So I think this episode is going to air after the release of the film, but I'm just curious from your guys' standpoint, you know, what has it been like for you, this buildup? Are you like just restless, just waiting for the, you know, the universe for it to just be out there and people could watch it and consume it? Are we start? Is are we starting now, or is this this? It's is it? uh, always be recording. ABR. And you're <laughs> <at our level>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the I think the answer is yeah. We're definitely ready to uh, to, for for people to see it. You know, I I know I'm excited to get to watch it with other people, uh, and you know, it's it's tough whenever. You have people that are asking you like when's it coming out hey when is it coming out you know and and that's good because it means they're excited and that's a that's a definitely a privilege but at the same time you know there was a period whenever we were kind of waiting and we're like we don't we don't know like we can't tell you anything you know and so it's like the last thing that you want to do is just show up and tell people hey everybody <laughs> we just want to let you know that there's absolutely nothing to talk about but we're really excited <laughs> and we were like, we promise it's coming out. So yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's, that's really cool. And it, it feels, it feels kind of unreal. You know what I mean? It's like, it reminds me of, uh, whenever you like, uh, Scott and I are both big fans of Halloween, like Halloween, just the holiday, uh, as well as, you know, just like uh, horror films in general. And it seemed like October this year, especially just went by so fast, you know, like I was like, man, when's it going to be October? And then I was like, when's it going to be, oh my gosh, it's election yeah. day. I missed it all. So yeah. What, but Scott, I mean, you're, you're excited, right? <laughs> oh, heck yeah. We've been sitting on this thing for like two years, you know? And so wow. people keep asking us, Hey, what's going on? What's going on? And we're like, it's coming. We promise, <laughs> you know, and it's such a, you know, we're first time filmmakers. So every bit of this process has been a learning process. So the whole, what you do after you finish the movie <laughs> to get it out to the most people and finding a home was a learning process. But we're really excited to be working with Gravitas Ventures. That's the distribution company who's getting it out there. And yeah, you know how it is like when you sit with something, for, it's kind of like when you're working on a play and you've, you've rehearsed for months and you've done two or three dress rehearsals and you're like, I think this is good, but you start kind of questioning, you know, that's kind of where we're at. We're like, we, we were really pumped you know when we finished it and now we've kind of been sitting on it it's like oh yeah now it's uh it's about to get real yeah november 17th that's a big day yeah and i think it times up perfectly with thanksgiving and a lot of people being home with their families and i know for myself it'll mean you know being on the couch with my sister and reliving the the glory days of the early 90s and nostalgia of, of nickelodeon so i think it was actually a perfectly timed release when people could share it with their family that's a good point. Yeah, that, that would be great. You know, just like people used to sit on the orange couch and watch yep. Snick together, they can sit on the, <laughs> their whatever colored couch and watch this and relive 
uh, relive some happy memories and learn a lot of new stuff too. So was this always a passion project for you guys? How did this come about? So it became, uh, Nickelodeon's been something that's always been, uh, I mean, at least, gosh, since we were, I I don't know, gosh, a little, little, like really little, we've loved it, you know, but, (laughs) but uh, so Scott and I had written some scripts together uh, before uh, and we had shopped them around uh, had gotten some interest. Uh, and then uh, occasionally, you know, the way it works sometimes is the directors get attached to something else, or you go and you take it to uh, a, a company and they're like, well, we need to change this or we need to change this or whatever, you know, there's a lot. And, and so we had worked together also on filming some mini documentaries before. And we finally kind of said to each other, maybe it's time that we take this destiny in, into our own hands and we have the skill set we think we have watched a lot of films uh, by people that are amazing so we think that we understand the format pretty well and so we were trying to decide what we were going to do we figured that a documentary was the most accessible uh, form of uh, filmmaking that we could do and we came up with a couple of ideas. We had been throwing around some ideas based upon things that we had wanted before. Uh, and we came back to Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon was one of those ideas. And so we eventually said, uh, we, we, asked our, we asked ourselves like whether or not that, that had been done before, right? Cause you know, for example, we love Star Wars. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be in two Star Wars documentaries. One that was against the prequels and one that was for them. So that's no, you know, that's, that's, it's well-worn territory, right? Which isn't a bad thing, but it's just, it's harder to uh, find new material. So long story short is that we ended up doing some research and we found out that Nickelodeon was prime for, uh, for a film to be made. And then we really started doing the homework. And that's whenever we learned about Geraldine Laybourne and her amazing vision. And that's whenever we had the story behind the story. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I think that it's, it's a story that we've kind of joked around and we said, it's like, you know, it's been, uh, it's a, it's a story that's like a generation in the making, right. For not just us, but I think for, uh, all the fans of Nickelodeon. Oh yeah. And I think, you know, this is especially, I think a few months ago, I was thinking, how come no one's made a documentary about Nickelodeon? And I think now, yeah. especially during COVID, where everyone's going back and rewatching these old shows and a lot of reboots are happening. Yeah. It's just one of those things. I'm like, how come no one's done a Nickelodeon doc? How come there's no like Disney Channel versus Nick documentary out there? Like, this is something that's definitely prime for the taking. And I think you guys are really smart to find something that really was untapped, but also combined with your passion for the subject matter. I'm just curious, how did you guys meet? Are you guys old time friends? How did uh, you know you meet Scott and vice versa? We are, yeah, we're we're super, we go way back, like golly, 30 years, I believe. Wow. It's right around there. We met in like, either it was either the late 80s or early 90s. We went to elementary school together. And so we watched these shows growing up together. So Nickelodeon was the, a really big part of both of our lives separately. And it was a big part of our life together, you know, because we, we literally watched these shows together and bonded over, you know, we always say, are you afraid of the dark is where we both sort of got our love for horror films. So it was something we were passionate about, but we also, you know, it, it, 
was it a passion project? Yes, in that it was a project we were passionate about, but we always took it really seriously. You know, we always wanted to make a good documentary and not let our nostalgia or our feelings get in the way. We wanted to tell the story for people that, even if you would never watch Nickelodeon, you would still enjoy this because there's still a cool story there. Yeah, and I think it's it, that's important, right? Because we asked ourselves at the very beginning if there was a, a, a greater story. Because I, I think that what hopefully is going to be surprising for people is that most of the information that is going to be new to them is going to come from new figures that they end up meeting and that they realize helped shape all of these wonderful forms of programming. Uh, we've been really, really fortunate to get to work with, you know, a who's who of Nickelodeon uh, talent, uh, which feels unreal. But the reality is, is that a lot of those uh, actors and a lot of those hosts uh, were almost our age, right? And they were going through it like we were. So whenever you ask the questions about you know, what was it? What, how did you create the program? What was the vision behind marketing and this and this and this, you know, inevitably it's like asking, you know, so how did you guys, like, it was like, if you went and asked my, my parents, like, so uh, what was Christmas or ask me, like, what was Christmas like when it came to preparation of like buying all of the gifts and setting up dinner and everything? I would have been like, I don't know. I was just getting yelled at and told not <laughs> yeah. to stay in my room. So, uh, so that was, a, it was really cool. And I, and I agree with Scott. I think that we treated it with a lot of, of reverence, like all of the, all of the people that we worked with, as well as the story. And hopefully that, that translates because, uh, you know, we, we felt the responsibility to do right by it and to not make it just a bunch of, you know, just going, it, it wasn't Chris Farley from Saturday Night Live, right? you know, in the Chris Farley show, like we didn't want to just go to Melissa Joan Hart and go, do you remember whenever you were, you're Clarissa? <laughs> and, and that's it, right? It, it means so much more. And so I think people will take away, take that away and won't think that this is just empty calories. I imagine when you're first starting out and trying to set on this, you know, course and trajectory to make this documentary, was it important first to get buy-in from Nickelodeon? Or was it trying to get the talent around it first and then coming to Nickelodeon being like, hey, look who we have. We have old, we have Keenan and Kel, we have Melissa Joan Hart. If you're going to be a part of this or you're not. Well, yeah, I mean, part of it is, you know, we're doing a documentary about Nickelodeon, but the, most of the figures that are in our doc are not at Nickelodeon anymore. These were people that worked at Nickelodeon in the 80s and 90s. So, yeah, we did. That was one of the first things uh, that we did was we reached out to Nickelodeon because you can make a documentary about anything. You know, or else why would things like Blackfish or Super Size Me exist? You know, luckily ours was much more positive than that. But yeah. um, we reached out to Nickelodeon and said, we're doing this, you know, and we would love to do this hand in hand, uh, but we're doing this. It's happening. And um, so that was something we were, you know, we, we extended that all over the branch from the very beginning, although it's not really like it's an olive branch because all we're doing is, you know, um, you know, essentially lifting them up. Uh, so yeah, it didn't really matter if we had, I mean, to be quite honest, it didn't matter if we had buy-in from them because all the people that were part of what we call the orange years, part of Geraldine Laybourne's tenure, they were all excited to do it. 
And the more of them that got on board, the easier it was, you know, because they were first people maybe were skeptical of what kind of story we were trying to tell, what was our angle. But once we'd interviewed three or four of that kind of like inner circle of those people, uh, it got easier and easier and easier. That's good to hear. I would imagine they would be, I would imagine the reception from them would be positive, right? Because I think this is all tying into what they're doing now and bringing back the classics and, you know, pushing a lot of their talent. So I imagine this would be a really symbiotic relationship, but you're right. These are people that aren't there anymore that kind of were previous legacy generation, but I imagine there's got to be some overlap. And to, to finish that off. Yeah. I mean, Nickelodeon ultimately was really supportive. You know, it was once we had something finished and the president there, his name is Brian Robbins and he was actually you know, hired by Gerald. Of the creators of all that, right? Of all that, exactly. So um, we were able to get in touch with him and just show him the movie because we did say, you know, we'd like to know, does Nickelodeon like this movie or not? Are y'all, <laughs> are y'all cool with us making it? And, and, and they were totally supportive, but it was at the very awesome. end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of, you know, reaching out to some of these old cast members from all these shows, what was that process like for you? Was it sort of just a snowball effect once you got one or two and then a lot more people are willing to talk? How was that process? Was there anyone that you really wanted that just for one reason or the other just didn't happen? I'm just so curious about, you know, you got such great buy-in from people to be part of this. You know, it it takes time. And uh, the funny thing is whenever we did the crowdfund, the re- I mean, the reality is we, we didn't have anybody attached at that moment. Right. We knew that we or we were very confident that we could make it happen. Uh, And we were very lucky, too, and very fortunate because anybody in the documentary, they could have just easily passed. Right. But so it did become a bit of a snowball effect uh, is and and, you know, the we'd set it up to where we kind of had our the our our framework where we said this is the minimum amount of interviews that we have to have in order to make a story that is going to be representative of this uh, phenomenon. And then this would be, and then we moved on to, this would be perfect, right? Like the, and we, I'd say we got exactly what the latter ended up being. Uh, with that said, I do wish that we had gotten a chance to interview Toby Huss uh, because Artie, the strongest man in the world uh, is, you know, I, I think he might, be the best superhero of all time uh, yeah <laughs> uh, it's only a matter of time before he into the mcu uh but we got pretty much i mean i think pretty much everybody i think i, I would say if i were to pick three probably would have been well three or four maybe toby huss well, toby huss would have been great i would have loved us to talk to amanda Bynes, uh which we were taught we were talking about uh ultimately it just didn't work out and then you know, I, I think it would have been awesome to talk to like uh, Dave Coulier, right? Like he he would have been awesome. We were yeah. in talks to talk to him as well. The one that we heard a lot that people asked him was funny is people were like, so did you get Alanis Morissette? And we're like, <laughs> uh, I mean, no, but she was like barely on the show yeah. really. But but uh, yeah, what about you, Scott? Like who were some people like that that you would have wanted to to get that we, we didn't up landing? Yeah. I mean, it was pretty cool. It, it, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it was a snowball. That's what it was. When it was when all we had was this crowdfund and we're just hitting the pavement, cold calling people that don't know us and we don't have any sort of resume. You know, we're first time filmmakers. It was hard. It was very difficult. And we were doing everything. We were if we could if we could find them on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or <laughs> go through their publicist or agent, we would hit them however we could. 
But then it was like, once we got Mark Summers, it was like, okay, things got uh, exponentially easier. <laughs> and then like, once we got like uh, Keenan Thompson, things got a lot easier. It was like, every time we would hit those, like it got easier and easier and easier. And just the more, sometimes people would, we would interview somebody and then they would call their friends and be like, Hey, I'm going to call my castmates and say, you guys should do this. So it did get uh, easier and easier. And then we ended up kind of having the, the opposite problem. Cause let's be honest, we could film this thing forever. There's, yeah. you could always get more and more and more people. You could, <laughs> you know, and ultimately we had to go, okay, we got to cut this off. We have enough people. And if we put any more people, it's like, everybody's going to be in it for like five seconds. Cause there is like 30 something people in the documentary, which is a lot. And I think that I'm proud of how we handled that. I think we give everybody their, their moment, their time to shine. Cause yeah, at the end we were like, you know, we got Coolio in the doc, spoiler alert, you know, but it's like yeah. get Carmen Electra because she was in Good Burger. We could have gone on <laughs> forever. Um, I mean, there's so many people that I, I really wish we could have gotten, um, you know, some of the guys from My Brother and Me. I think that would be really cool because uh, I think that show kind of gets overlooked in a lot of ways. I think it was a really good, awesome show. Uh, I think it was a wholesome show, which I think is good for kids, you know, kind of like, Hey dude, it's in that family of like, Hey dude. And Doug of, it was just a good yep. feeling show. And I mean, I wish, I, I wish we could have interviewed Iggy pop. He played, uh, <laughs> known as dad on, on, on Pete and Pete. And I thought it was, I always thought it was so funny when I was a kid, I didn't know who he was, but now growing up and watching it, the fact that he's like real square and lame and hates anything weird, but it, but it's played by Iggy pop. I think that's really a funny tongue in cheek joke. <laughs> I have to ask, you know, you brought up Coolio. What was it like interviewing him? Of course, he, you know, he did one of the best intro songs ever for Keenan and Kel. But what was it like? He seems just like the coolest dude. I know it's uh, what his name suggests. So he walked into a room and and we were like, you want to tell us what this is about? And he just started rapping. <laughs> and we were like, yeah. OK, we're in. And then Michelle Pfeiffer was like, no. Uh, so, so, Scott, we actually weren't able to be in that in, in on that one right that was jacob yeah yeah there was like maybe a couple where where we had like a second unit where it was just because again you know one thing i'm really proud of is how small this and nimble this crew was you know this documentary was made by a handful of people on a really shoestring budget so there were a couple of times where it was like you know whoever was closest to that person would just go get the interview. So it was some of the other members of our team were the ones that actually got to conduct that interview. And we were so, <laughs> so bummed out, but it's like, could we really fly out right now? Like, could we, you know, first of all, we have day jobs. Could we call in sick to our day jobs and fly all the way out to Los Angeles to meet Coolio as cool as that would be, or <laughs> one of our producers and one of our camera guys is like right down the road. They could just go get it and, and cost us nothing. So we kind of had to be fiscally responsible on that one, unfortunately, <laughs> but we've seen the interview and he's amazing. It's funny because one thing we always say is like everybody in this doc that was associated with Nickelodeon was so cool, so kind, so like humble. And, you know, Coolio wasn't really a Nickelodeon person, you know, compared to like the actors, writers and directors. Yeah, he did the yeah. song and yeah, he was on all that. But even just by his limited, he's kind of like a like a like a limited family. <laughs> even he was nice, you know, like he was not like, oh, yeah, I did that kid show. He's like, I was honored. I was honored to get to do the theme song to that show. How cool is that? 
to get to go down in history, all these kids watching me, you know, I mean, how many people would be like that? I'm sure you guys know, I don't have to tell you that documentaries are really made in the editing room, right? You have all this footage that you compile and it's like, what kind of story do we have here? What are we trying to tell? So for you guys, just trying to think about it. Okay. You have all these interviews. How do we craft a narrative? And I know this is more just about your process, but I'm just really curious to get inside and you know, what you thought about, you know, how are we going to make something? Is it going to be chronological? Are we going to tell the story over time? How are we going to do this? That was, that was tough. You're absolutely right though. I mean, that's why I think, you know, there's this documentary boom and because cameras are so good, people start documentaries I follow them all the time on Indiegogo and they just kind of fall apart when it comes to editing because yeah, that that's where you write it, you know, essentially that's where it all comes together. But, you know, we went into it with a really strong idea of the story we wanted to tell already. So that helped the, the editing process out exponentially because we already kind of, we, we knew what we were looking for and we knew what questions to ask people you know, to kind of go for that story. But then the story really came alive uh, when we were editing it, you know, and, 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 and it, was, it was very difficult. Luckily, we lucked out a lot of it happened chronologically, you know, <laughs> like a lot of the live action shows all came out and then the three Nicktoons came out. So we did want to tell a story that was chronological. So you can go, if you're someone that goes, I want to know how Nickelodeon went from just nothing, just a local channel in Columbus, Ohio, that was on its way out was failing to SpongeBob SquarePants where it was literally yeah. as big as Disney. I want to know how that happened. You can watch that in a very clear, concise way and also experience the ups and downs with those people. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we cut, there's 40, 50 hours worth of footage and we got to make that into a 90 minute documentary that, that also does justice to all the shows while also doing justice to the Nickelodeon story. Yeah, that was crazy, but <laughs> we had so much fun filming it. You know, we really did. It never felt like work when we were filming it. We, you know, we would, we would, we, I mean, there was sometimes where we would film like, I think the most we did was like seven or eight interviews in one day. Wow. Um, it was crazy. And we would go from sun up to sun down, you know, film, film, <laughs> film, film. And editing was kind of the same way because you're watching all these really cool stories. You're laughing, you're having fun. So even the editing process, as intense as it was, it it never felt like work. You know, it always felt like we we always felt like we were part of something really cool. That's awesome. Uh, anything to add, Adam? There or or that? No, it? I mean, I think I, I think Scott, you know, he nailed it. Really, is that uh, I, I would say we were we were fortunate enough, like he said, because the story was in a linear, you know, worked in a linear fashion. I mean, sometimes you end up with uh, some documentaries, uh, they happen as they're, they're filming, right? Which is, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, some of this, and, and some of the story did evolve for sure, as we, as we were taking a look at it. Also with respect to what the, inter, the interviewees were saying to us, right? Uh, they, they helped out a lot. But yeah, we we spent a lot of time doing research at the beginning uh, and worked on the framework. And we had a couple of different ideas of how we were going to do it. And so ultimately, we ended up using kind of the story of Geraldine and the creative programmers as what we would be like the, the trunk. And then the branches yeah. are the story or, you know, the, the programming eventually. Uh, and but, you know, it. I, I would absolutely agree with that is that it could have gone a lot of different ways. And the reality is based upon, you know, you could film another hundred hours 
worth of footage and there would still be some things that maybe missed out. You know, I think that there was one thing that we, you know, that we would both take a look back at is we would say like, yeah, this could absolutely become a mini series and you could film up yeah. until now, realistically, right? If you were to tell the, the legacy of everybody returning, you know, Nickelodeon is not unlike the Star Wars franchise right now. Right. Where you have like the Han Solos and the, you know, the Harrison Fords and the Mark Hamill's and the, yeah. you know, Carrie Fisher's coming back to to the family while also paving the way for a new generation. So. Uh, so, yes, uh, absolutely. It was a lot of work and, you know, credit. But I mean, you know, credit to the to the editing realistically, you know, uh, uh, Scott, another editor, uh, Sean Cawthon uh, did a ton of work. And so that deserves to be to be commended for sure. Oh, definitely. On the post-production end, you know, because there's so many people in the post-production that get overlooked, yeah. you know, because like you said, especially on a documentary, I mean, that's that's so big. Uh, we had a great uh, musician that, that worked on our soundtrack, and his name was hmm. Darren Beck. Because another thing about our documentary, focusing on, you know, the Nickelodeon story, but then also all the shows, we really wanted all the shows because they kind of get their own segment, you know, the yeah. shows that were important, the shows that were game changers, they get their own little mini story within the bigger story. We didn't want it to feel formulaic where it's like, okay, now we're going into the story of Double Dare. Okay, now we're going into the story of Hey Dude. I think that the Hey Dude segment is totally different than the Salute Your Shorts segment, which is totally, we kind of let each segment come to life in its own way. And, and Darren, he had to write music for all those different parts because all those parts, we wanted to feel different and alive and unique. So with most documentaries, once you write a couple of songs, you know, you're, you're kind of good, you know, and you can kind of remix those songs and repurpose them. Yeah. But, you know, for like, hey, dude, he had to write a couple of like country Western songs. And then for <laughs> like Pete and Pete, some like cool indie rock kind of sounding songs. For Are You Afraid of the Dark, some kind of synthy, creepy sounding songs, you know. And then for all that and Keenan and Kel, he wrote some uh kind of 90s hip-hop uh song so i mean we got to give a lot of credit to darren because he made each of those parts feel different and he had to write so many songs you know and he's doing it and some are on a he had a slide guitar he's recording some he's working on his synthesizer i mean he had his work cut out for him uh but you know like us he was really always really positive and really excited to, to work on it but yeah his soundtrack is like amazing I, I would listen to it even without the documentary i would just cruise around jamming the, the songs he wrote that's incredible and i i know i would watch a 10 part you know kind of last dance series all about the orange years you know give me 10 hours of content here yeah. you know honestly i'm not complaining about you know the 10 hours of footage so you know i know there is an audience for it for sure to kind of even go all the way up until today um i'm just kind of curious you know we've had so many guests on the relunchables former child stars people from that era on the tv shows on disney channel on nickelodeon and it's all the same sentiment that, you know, we grew up in the golden age of children's programming. And I'm sure you share that. But I'm just curious, after doing this documentary, after going through all this time and effort, you know, really getting the answers, do you have any sense of why this came about at the perfect time? Hanna-Barbera, Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, all these great programs coming out right at the perfect time when we were kind of coming of age? Or is there anything, you know, specifically that you guys point to as, you know, the reason why this all happened at once? Or is it just kind of circumstance? You know, I think it was kind of the dawn of cable helped out a lot, right? I mean, yeah. like it, it's it's the same way that to to a degree social media has 
has helped launch a lot of careers and put people together. You know, we've seen movements that have happened uh, in, you know, this year that have happened largely because, and also out of some circumstances as well that weren't, you know, weren't, weren't so great, like with respect to COVID, right? Like it, some people were able yeah. to come together. I, I think I would largely say that cable was the, the unifier. Uh, you know, it allowed us to watch the same, the same uh, programs. Additionally, it opened up the, it, it opened up avenues for, people that weren't going to get their chance to do it. It's the same way, like with, you know, George Lucas, like kind of championing like digital film really is that uh, the the reality is who knows if there would have been a chance for, you know, for um, me and Scott to get to make a film before that. Right. It would have been much more difficult, Uh, you know, and, and I think that at that point in time, like consumer culture was coming to a head, you know, like we, you know, it was, I think people look back also in terms of film, with like Amblin Entertainment and other studios like that. And that type of storytelling just wasn't happening at that point. Right. So we were like on that, uh, we, it all, like you said, it came, came to a head and, you know, you, like you said, you could open it up to Hanna-Barbera or Hasbro with action figures and things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, and I think th- that's a great, I mean, that's a great question. You know, I, I'm not sure that, I know for Nickelodeon, I think that we have a little bit of an answer, but with respect to the cultural phenomenon that happened that, I mean, that probably would be a great documentary within itself. Right. Is like, why would that happen? Like you just hang up Jordan right now and you're like, Hey, so here's the thing. <laughs> you're like on that. Like, I don't know why you would be like on a telegram or something like, you know, on a wire, like, <laughs> but, uh, but Scott, what, I mean, what do you think? What? Yeah. I mean, it was this perfect storm, right. Where cable was, moving into more and more houses while at the same time, more and more houses had uh, both parents going to work, mom and dad splitting up. So there was a need and there was something to fill that need. You know, kids were at home alone. They were latchkey kids coming home and cable was there for them. And I think that was one of the first times we really, it was the first time we had cable. And it was also the first time we had a lot of kids who were like that, who were home by themselves so I think that's why it almost did take on this, like a, like a third parent, you know, like a, like a, yeah. like a, people say that all, you know, Mark Summers, he told us that people tell him all the time, you raised me, dude, you were, you were part of my childhood. And I think that's why there was this perfect storm. And it was also, I think that it was, I think a lot of bands make their best music, like kind of right in the middle, you know, in the beginning, you're still figuring it out. And at the end, you're kind of trying to make money, but in the middle is where the sweet spot is. And I think that around that time there was money, there was money to make shows good. You could put money behind it because you do need that. You do need some production value, but there wasn't so much money that it became just corporate and all about the money, you know? So you had, you were able to do shows like, are you afraid of the dark? That were like an anthology series, you know, anthology series are expensive to make because you got to always have a new location you got to have new actors. You got to have p- people writing different stories all the time. You can't rely on those same characters, new characters or every episode and guts. You know, you look at guts, that's a, an expensive looking show. You had all that, but at the same time, it was still a little bit like the wild west. They were still kind of writing the rules. So it was this middle ground where they had money, but not too much money. So some really <laughs> cool stuff happened. Oh yeah. 
And we've seen, you know, as we talked about earlier, just so many reboots of popular childhood shows, you know, between The Proud Family coming back to Disney Plus and DuckTales and all these different things coming back. I'm just curious, are there any shows that you wish made an appearance or came back? Or are you just kind of like, I want to leave them in my childhood. I want to leave them as they are, as I remember them. I mean, I'd love all the shows to come back, you know, (laughs) give them a shot. Why not? Uh, I think especially if you can get the... uh, the creators, the original creators. Yeah. Back. I think yep. that's great. You know, I think like all that, it's got a lot of the same people that worked on it back in the day. And that's why it still feels like all that, you know, it's, it's not like a, a, a totally different reimagining. They've certainly updated it for kids these days, but you still have, you know, Brian Robbins is, you know, working on that, you know, Keenan, Keenan Thompson and Kel Mitchell are executive producers. They've got Elisa Reyes on there. So it's still got that yeah. spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I say open it up, like let everybody get to experience it, you know, and I would love to, I mean, I I loved the Are You Afraid of the Dark uh, miniseries that came out. I thought that that was brilliant. And uh, it's, it's, it always goes back to story. Like Scott and I talk about it all the time. It goes back to story and who is running it. And if you have a, a great heart, and someone, you know, in a great mind also, someone like a Geraldine Laybourne. And I mean, you could go down the list, right? And say Mitchell Kriegman, you could yeah. say Steve Slapkin, Will McRobb, Chris Viscardi, everybody, right? All of these people were geniuses. So, you know, it. I mean, you, there, uh, there are good stories that can be made in terms of reboots all the time. You know, it just depends, uh, like, you know, Scott was saying, uh, th- I mean, that's the beautiful thing about it right now is that you have the opportunity to have the original crew who can, you know, bring that spirit and kind of help uh, help a new generation channel it. So I think that that would be amazing. And uh, I-, I bet that you would find a ton of innovative ideas and a ton of wonderful performers now that we never would have had a chance to see uh, had, had the reboots not happened. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And I think, like you mentioned, just having you know a new audience, right? And I think people of our generation are having kids of our own and sitting them yeah. down and watching these classics that we grew up on. And you know, I think Animaniacs is coming to Hulu in a few weeks with Rob Paulson and the original cast. Like, I, I can't wait for that. You know, so it's it's really interesting when they it, you can tell when it's a money grab and when it's not, right? And same with the Star Wars franchise, you can clearly tell when they're just out there to make money versus we want to go back to the origins. We want to get the people who were on board from the beginning and actually make a creative tale that we want to tell, not just because we need to make a hundred million dollars. Right. You end up with people like Ben Schwartz on DuckTales, right? And Star yeah. Wars also. Yeah. I mean, he's he's amazing, yeah. you know? And uh, and oh, yeah. so you get these like, uh, like, you know, like we said, you get you get stories and you get people, you also get people that are really interested in, in coming back and revisiting it, right? Because you always hear these stories about how uh, some people are like, oh, that's the past. Or you see like all these comedic uh, films that are like, oh, you're a has-been or whatever, blah, 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 blah. But these were unique opportunities realistically where the all of the creative talent and the performers, they had their say on everything, right? So it wasn't as if, you know, they were just being put out in front of a spotlight and told like, go kid, right? They were involved <laughs> in the creative process. And so I think that that's what separated it from a lot of other yeah. stories that you hear about kind of, you know, performers that were in the spotlight whenever they were children. Yeah. No, hundred uh, percent. I'm just curious, was this all filmed before COVID? Like, did, was this perfect timing for you guys or was it a hassle trying to get interviews during COVID? 
Yeah, it was. It, I mean, it was way before COVID. Yeah, we 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 debuted the film at Doc NYC in 2018. Oh wow! I was going to joke around and say we we filmed this in the Great War. <laughs> like this is before talkies <laughs> were a thing. So it was weird because yeah. we were going to tell people, right? It was like Back to the Future. We were like, "Hey, listen, here's the thing: your grandchild is going to be in a film." your kids your kids are gonna yeah. love it yeah um <laughs> yes so so we got very lucky and and scott and i talked about it you know whenever whenever COVID hit is we were just like wow like i mean it's because we you know we work on projects right now and 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 so it's really interesting to see how people are navigating the the cinematic land landscape you know when you see a movie like tenet yeah uh underperform because of justifiable reasons uh anybody yeah. is is right for that you know so the reality is yeah. if we would have done this two years later you would have seen a lot of zoom interviews and having to get really creative that way i anticipate you know or yeah. you know probably some social yeah. distance interviews that were you know i mean it's a little bit different than doing a, a narrative feature but you know uh I, I'm sure Scott would say that we that we are very very fortunate, you know, and oh yeah, very fortunate, you know, and it and it it's it's a bummer that COVID happened, of course. I mean, that's uh, my heart goes out to everybody, you know, and it and it it it, it did though it, it it we knew that our hope was that through all this craziness we could get this film out, and we were fortunate that we had finished it well before this. And while nobody else was able to finish their movies, we felt very grateful that we that we were we were done with it, and we 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 were we just wanted to get it out there because we're like, oh man, all these people are at home, wanting something, wanting something to cheer them up. We we really wanted to get the film out because we were hoping, hey, maybe maybe this can make somebody feel a little bit better for today, if nothing else. Yeah. So we were very we were we've been very excited to get this out there and show people. Oh yeah, I really do feel for independent filmmakers, especially now with you know film festivals not really happening. You know, I, know. I love going to South by every year. That's like one of the things I really pride myself and love seeing new films. And it's really tough for indie filmmakers to get the word out there. Like I just watched the movie Shit House, which won the you know the uh, People Prize at South by this year. But it's tough, especially with everything going on, to kind of break through the noise and get something out there. So. You know, I really admire what you guys did with this, and I, I really cannot wait to watch it. I just have to tell you that. We were fortunate, too, that we got to have that film festival experience, you know, because, yeah, all the people that were a couple of years later, they got kind of cheated out of it. I know they, yeah. they did it online, and unfortunately, our um, we had a fantastic person work on our opening titles. You can see them. They're up mm -hmm. online already if you Google the Orange Years opening titles. Um, she just did an great job they, they're so cool they're so amazing and they took i think they took our film to the next level and they got accepted into south by southwest this past year oh wow so we were very excited we were gonna because you know our film debuted at doc nyc and so we we're yeah. like yeah that's great now we're also good we got doc nyc it's not the whole film but the the opening <laughs> credits are at south by southwest and she was her name is ali clark and she's just a phenomenal person she's done a lot of uh great uh opening credit work she did there was a, a documentary called uh life and waves that's about the life of susan chiani uh susan chiani uh one of the pioneers of like uh synthesizers and things like that and uh and opening credits are like a lost art right now it seems like every tv show just goes right into it no one there's no one that does really opening credits anymore it's a shame yeah 
and and ours were drawn by Justin Harder, who did the uh, the end credits for Deadpool. He did. Oh, wow. he, he drew them, and then Ali animated them and gave them a look and colorized them, and it just she went with a really interesting color palette that that we never would have thought of. Uh, and she really helped because that was one thing from the very start. We wanted to establish ourselves as our own entity. We're making we're making a documentary about Nickelodeon, so yeah, we got to have that orange. We got to have some splats we got to have green but we didn't want there to be any confusion this is not made by nickelodeon this is not a nickelodeon production this is somebody else and she helped us achieve that and you know unfortunately she was so excited she was planning her trip and then covid hit and so she you know i got to you know unfortunately we saw that up close what that disappointment means because i mean we were disappointed but you know, it was even worse for her because she'd worked so hard yeah. and, and created this amazing thing. And then she didn't get, you know, didn't get to do it. So my heart goes out to all those filmmakers for sure. Yeah. Well, Adam, Scott, I can't thank you enough for your time. We end on five rapid fire questions each episode. So are you guys ready? Are we going to do one or like one, one and one, do him, do me, something like that? Or yeah, I'll, I'll uh, you'll each answer each question, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll point to who's, who's going to go. Okay. 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 <laughs> Okay, uh, any TV shows you're currently binging? I'll start with you, Adam. Yes, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and I am about to watch Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit is awesome, by the way. Scott, what about you? I'm, this is the lamest answer in the world, but I'm currently binging The Office like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite theme music from any Nick show? Scott, I'm going to start with you on this oh, one. Oh, man. Uh, Got to go with Pete and Pete. That song is the jam. <laughs> Yeah. What about you, Adam? Uh, let's go with Cl- Clarissa Explains It All. Uh, That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. It's a good choice. Very similar, but uh, do you have a favorite Nick character? And I'll start with you, Adam, on this one. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we're going to, I mean, we're, Scott and I are on the same page, I think, for, <laughs> for our favorite of all time. But I'm going to go. I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to say Artie, the strongest man in the world. Uh, so, so it's because Scott, I think Scott, I know where Scott's going. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Budnick, Bobby Budnick. Because in a way, that also uh, Zeke the Plumber is another character I really like. But that kind of circles them both because I think Bobby Budnick made up Zeke the Plumber, so it's kind of like both. Gotcha. Uh, this may be a longer answer, but just your favorite anecdote from working on this documentary. And Scott, I'll start with you. For like my favorite anecdote that somebody told me, like that I heard somebody say, or- just your from your experience working on this documentary, whether it was an interview with someone, an interaction, finally getting gravitas, picking it up, anything you're going to really take from this entire experience. Woo! Oh my <laughs> gosh, a lot. This is a heavy one. This is a heavy one for rapid fire. I admit that is that. a heavy one. Golly, my favorite thing is 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 just just stop and enjoy the scenery. Because it's a lot of work. It's a lot, lot, lot of work to get this done. And sometimes you get lost in that work and you got to stop and go, how cool is it that I got to freaking hang out with Mark Summers and that our film is, <laughs> you got to stop and, and just enjoy it because it goes by fast. I'm going to say, two, I'm going to say two really quickly. One was getting to sit down. I, I really enjoyed the opportunity to talk to both Mark Summers and Larissa Alenik. Because uh, Larissa just sat down and talked to us and had a had a drink with us after the show, like after we premiered it. Uh, and Mark Summers just sat wow. and talked to us about the Boston Red Sox and like a bunch of other things, which is really <laughs> cool. My my favorite moment was whenever we were walking on our way to the Doc NYC Festival for the premiere because there had been a blizzard in New York, 
and we were there and Scott and I are from Texas. So we hadn't seen snow like that a lot. And so we were going with the entire team, including Geraldine Laybourne, who was nice enough. They had a big party, which was almost like watching that. This is not rapid fire. Um, so long story short is that we were walking <laughs> and we were just picking up snow and like talking about how we were like, oh, we're going to play in this and do the snow, whatever. This is amazing. Yeah. And people were like, hey, we need to hurry because the film's yeah. about to play. <laughs> and so yeah. it was really, it was, that it was, was awesome. just a really cool and very like charmed moment. You know what I mean? Because it was, it was two things that you don't get to, to be involved in very often. And so it, it was amazing. It was a really beautiful night. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Last one. I know the Orange Years isn't even out yet, but is there a future project that you have in mind for a potential next documentary? I'll start with you, Scott. There's a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to give anything away if you don't want to. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we've got a, we all, it's pretty cool. Like all, everybody on this project has all kind of gone on and done there. We're working together on stuff. We're working separately. So there's a bunch of cool projects that we're all working on. Awesome. Adam, Scott, can't thank you enough. You can get it on iTunes, Amazon, or you can get a physical copy if you want a Blu-ray or a DVD also on can I get a VHS? Oh my gosh. Sure. You know what? We can make it happen. <laughs> I can make it happen. We can find a way to make it happen. If you ask Laserdisc, we will find a way to make that happen. It may get to you in 2028. Yeah. 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 VHS is making a comeback. Along with vinyl, VHS is coming back. It's true. Everybody, if we do it, it'd have to be an orange tape, of course. Yeah. We have I was going to say, it has to be an yeah, orange absolutely. tape. No question. No question at all. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate your yeah, time. Yeah, thanks for You're having great. us. Thank you so much. I would like to thank Scott Barber and Adam Sweeney for coming on the podcast. You could rent the Orange Years on Apple, Amazon. You could buy a DVD, pretty much anything, even a VHS apparently. Uh, next week, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be joined by Allison McLean Merrill to go through the top 10 Disney Channel original movies. You can subscribe to the Relunchables podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or review. Five stars only. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.